Our Bible reading this morning is the 21st chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 21, and we'll read the whole chapter. That's on page 15 of the Black Church Bibles. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. As she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, 
what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Well, thank you all. And please do keep uh, page 15 of the Church Bibles open if you've got one. Um, uh, as we come to God's Word. And let me say welcome. It's really good to have you here with us uh, today at Chalmers. And especially if you are visiting or looking in on Christian things, we're really glad you're here. And I, ho- I hope um, uh, the kind of next half hour is, is really thought-provoking in various ways. If you've got questions, feel free to ask them afterwards, or, or um, tonight we've got that question time. But we are thinking about the birth of a child here in Genesis 21. And we started looking at this last week, the start of Genesis 21, uh, we're focused from verse um, 6 onwards today. Um, but we are thinking about the birth of a child. It's actually great having Claire, Claire's baptism earlier at the 9.30 service. It felt like a very appropriate passage um, as we celebrate the, the long-awaited birth of a son to Abraham and Sarah. And if you are new to Christian things or new to the Bible or new to Genesis, you may think, I don't even know who Abraham and Sarah are. I certainly don't care whether they've had a child or not. But actually, this, this chapter has huge implications for today which I hope to explain as we go along. And this is preparing the way for Jesus. Um, But let me pray for God's help as we come to his word now. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you know exactly what state each of us has arrived in this morning at church. We pray for those who are mourning, that you would comfort them. We pray for those who are struggling, that you would encourage them. For those who are proud, that you would challenge And most of all, we pray for all of us that you'd open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word, because we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, If you want a sense of where we're going, uh, there is an outline on the back. Um, There are four points, and they're quite long points, but uh, they won't take the same amount of long time. It it gets shorter as we go on. uh, but you'll see at the top, I, am, uh, I do have Christmas on my mind, I'm afraid, that we are going to talk about Christmas. It is coming. I'm sorry if you're trying to live in denial about the flurry of activity to come, but uh, December's almost here. Uh, Black Friday has been shouting at us, you've got to get the, this present, that present. It's slightly cheaper this week than it'll ever be. Kind of, you need a waffle maker with artificial intelligence. It learns just how you like the waffles. Actually, Christmas is not on my mind just because of the time of year we're in or, or kind of um, the shouting from the culture that we ought to be investing in presents and, and, and lights and things. Uh, it's not even because we put our tree up yesterday. Yeah, always early. No, Christmas is on my mind because Genesis has the birth of Jesus Christ on the mind. It's actually been one of the things that surprised me as we've gone through uh, how much this bit of Genesis is focused on the birth of the long-promised, long-awaited offspring of Abraham. Now, in Genesis, that's Isaac. He's the miraculous baby that, that no one expected, but God kept promising. But that is a shadow, a picture of Jesus to come. So to put it another way, um, I already believe that the Bible is one big story. 
Yes, it's, each book is written by different human authors across hundreds of years, but mir- amazingly, miraculously, there's one divine author inspiring those writers to, to, to write one story that builds up to Jesus. I really believe that. It's one of our convictions as the Bible, uh, sorry, as a church about the Bible, that it's telling one story building up to Jesus. But even with that expectation, I did not expect to see Christmas cards or Christmas pictures turning up as early in the story as this. Just think what we've already had by this point in Genesis. We've had an angelic announcement about a coming birth that will be a miraculous birth. It's physically impossible because of the age of Abraham and Sarah and her infertility. It's a long-promised birth that's also a long-awaited birth. It's been 25 years they've had to trust that God will do the impossible. So the birth of Isaac at the start of chapter 21 has a very Christmassy vibe about it. And that's deliberate. Because Jesus, Abraham's greater offspring, will be the angelically announced, long-awaited, miracle child who will inherit all of God's promises. Last week with Robin, we, we um, looked at the first few verses of chapter 21, uh, where he does get born. Um, but today, we're, we're thinking about the reactions to the arrival of Abraham's promised son, the offspring. What, what different reactions will the arrival of Isaac produce? And we're going to apply that in terms of what different reactions does the arrival of Jesus produce? Or in other words, how do people respond to the Christmas message Good news, uh, great news of of great joy, the birth of Jesus. It's good to think about this at this moment, actually, isn't it? It is providential that we're on this topic at this time of year, because many of us in the church family, we are are hoping to invite friends and family and colleagues and neighbours to come and hear of the good news of Jesus' birth. Uh, We've got all sorts of things happening. We heard about Thursday's um, Christmas kind of craft event. Uh, uh, we got um, Christmas carol services to come. There's loads of them. And uh, we got Hope Explored in January. And there'll just be loads of conversations going on around our families and, and friendship groups. Uh, what sort of reactions should we expect when we share the good news of Jesus' birth? Well, this passage is going to tell us. This passage will calibrate our expectations. Uh, and let's get into the, the first point. Because um, the first thing we see right up front is that there are starkly different reactions to Isaac's birth. Um, The arrival of God's promised son prompts starkly opposite reactions. This is the the point one. Or in other words, there are two ways to laugh at this baby. So first off, let's look at Sarah's reaction. And verse six, Sarah's um, reaction, her kind of laughter. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Now, Isaac's name means he laughs. It's his name. It's Mr. He Laughs. So we're supposed to notice the laughter thing going on. And uh, what we're seeing is there's more than one way to laugh at Isaac. Sarah's laughter is the, the sheer joy, the sheer delight. This is amazing. After years of weeping and grief and hopelessness, well, now her grief has turned to joy. And notice in verse 6, she points out, it's not just her, but, but everyone who hears will laugh over me. This is such extraordinary news, the birth of this boy, that the other people will hear it and laugh. question is, how will they laugh? For joy, like Sarah? Amazed at what God's done? Or a different kind? 
And so it is with Jesus Christ's arrival. It's not just the general joy of Mary having a baby. I mean, that's always a cause for gladness. We were, we were glad to celebrate Claire this morning with her family. No, the birth of Isaac then and Jesus later has far bigger stakes. Remember, so far in the Bible, Abraham is the one where God has said, I'm going to fix the world through this family. All my blessing is going to come through this family, and particularly through Abraham's offspring. That's how families all over the world will be blessed. And so Abraham needed an heir, an offspring, and he didn't have one to inherit the promises. 25 years on, it looks impossible. And now, would you believe it? God's actually pulled it off. In fact, just look, just, just look at uh, Sarah's words in verse 7. I love the irony of this. Um, in, in her joy, she says, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I've borne him a son in his old age? Who would have said it? Well, well God said it <laughs> like loads of times over the last 25 years, Sarah. But the point is, it's just ordinary. Ordinary. Yes, it's what God said, exactly what God said, but it's so extraordinary. The laughter of sheer joy. The laughter that sings joy to the world. Our Saviour's come. That's the first reaction. Isaac faced it, and Jesus gets it, doesn't he? Still. This room is filled with people who will rejoice as we reflect on the news of Jesus' birth. That's however heavy our hearts are with the strains and sadnesses of this broken world, however much we're grieving things in our church family or our own families, nevertheless, joy to the world that this child is born. There is hope. That's one reaction. But no sooner have we heard that reaction, the joy, we get a second kind of laughter. And this is verses 8 to 9. Verses 8 to 9 and the second kind of laughter, which is Ishmael's derision and mockery of God's promised son and heir. Now, we are supposed to be comparing these two kinds of laughter because if you notice in verse 8, we've suddenly jumped, like the scene has cut, the camera's switched to much later, actually, three years later. So now Isaac, he's no longer a baby. Uh, He's survived through infancy and he's been weaned. So we're probably about three years old. And Abraham, verse 8, is throwing a feast. He's celebrating. He's still rejoicing. Incredible. Look at what God's done. Here's the promised son that God had said. But someone else isn't rejoicing. Verse 9. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she'd born to Abraham, laughing. Now it's important to realise what's going on here because this kind of laughter is really different from Sarah's joyful laughter. It's not innocent. It's a mockery, a ridiculing, a bullying laughter. And Paul says later in Galatians, reflecting on this passage, that, and I've, I've given you a verse on the sheet, that Ishmael was persecuting Isaac. That is, he was showing contempt for Isaac the way, just like in chapter 16, Hagar had showed contempt for Sarah when she was childless and Hagar got pregnant with Ishmael and Sarah couldn't. It's not just an innocent laughter, it's a bitter one. It's, it's a mocking, derisive kind of laughter. And refusing to accept despite the feast from Abraham, refusing to accept that Isaac is the true heir, the promised child, the one who will inherit the blessings. And we do need to clock how serious this is. I realize at first thought, we might think Sarah just massively overreacts in verse 10. But just think about it for a moment. Ishmael, by this point, is 16. Isaac is three. 
When Abraham holds a feast to honor Isaac, the older, stronger brother has nothing but derision for him. I don't know if you've ever experienced someone that you know or love being bullied, especially as a child. It's horrible. Absolutely horrible. All the more so if it's from older, stronger children. It's dangerous. We're not actually told why or how Ishmael was mocking Isaac. We don't know what the words were. Was he just laughing at the idea that that, uh, Isaac would be the true heir when he's so much younger and I'm the older, stronger, firstborn in age? You're having a laugh if you think he's going to inherit. We'll see about that. Given what happened in the last chapter, was, was he insinuating that Isaac probably wasn't even a legitimate son of Abraham? I mean, your dad's probably a Bimelech anyway. Your mum's got around. Was he laughing at the weakness and frailty of Isaac's parents? Sarah isn't a patch on my mum, Hagar. Or was it just as simple as he was envious of God's choice? How dare you be celebrated as the heir of Abraham, the child of promise? I have every right to claim that place. I've been here longer than you. I will not accept God's choice. We don't know exactly what he said. But we should clock how serious what's going on here actually is. And and that's why Sarah reacts strongly in verse 10. Here a 16-year-old ridicules a defenseless three-year-old. And more seriously still is rejecting God's choice of the promised son and heir. To help us see the seriousness, the last time we had this kind of sibling sibling rivalry between two brothers in the family of promise was Cain and Abel. And we know how it ended. Bloodshed for Abel at the hands of jealous Cain. We've already been told that Ishmael is going to be like a wild animal who is against his own family. And so we might see that this strong reaction of Sarah is a bit more understandable than we first feel. In fact, that word cast out is the same language of drive out that happened to Cain after he killed Abel. But actually, before we go on further and see what happens next, I just want to pause to apply this. And let's just ask that simple question, do we still see these two opposing reactions today to Jesus, Abraham's greater offspring, the ultimate offspring? of promise, the ultimate heir of all God's blessings? Well, yes, (laughs) clearly, don't we? Joy and derision side by side. I mean, just think about when Jesus arrived. So Jesus' birth, you've got the shepherds and the wise men like running in joy, bowing down in worship, offering gifts, overjoyed at what God's doing. He's fulfilling his promises. He's bringing the king, the heir, to the world. And then there's Herod, absolutely incensed by the idea that there's a new king in town, envious at the rival claim to his position to the throne. How dare he? I need to take him out. And he tried. But it's not just at Jesus' birth. When Jesus grew up, uh, we're hearing in Matthew in the evenings, um, he's surrounded by these disciples just filled with joy. Who is this guy? He can fix the world. He can bring hope and life. and He's got power. He's clearly God's promised king. And then alongside that, you've got the hostility of Jesus' enemies, mocking him, deriding him, saying he gets his power from evil, saying he's a fraud, plotting to get rid of him. And it's not just in Jesus' life and death. 
It's what happens afterwards with his disciples. So when they're proclaiming the message of Jesus, spreading good news of great joy, uh, they're met with both delight and hostility. They find rejoicing at Jesus and ridicule at Jesus hits them every time. And it's not just Jesus and leaders of the church. It's just members of the church as well throughout history, including today. So this quote I've put on from Galatians 4, is, it says it's the normal pattern what happened here. Not a kind of one-off unique thing to Genesis 21, but this ongoing pattern. So in Galatia, there are these people who've become Christians. Uh, they're not Jewish background, they're, they're from other nations, but they've become Christians. They've trusted in Jesus. And so they are children of Abraham now. They've been kind of brought into the family. Like Isaac, they're now heirs of the promise. But just as they stand in the line of Isaac, uh, God's children, children of promise, or so they're being mocked and attacked and persecuted by others. In Galatia, it's people saying you need to do a load of other religious works to be right with God. They're disqualifying them. You're not heirs. You're not true children. Let me just read those verses on the sheet. Verse 28. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, in, as in Genesis 21, he who was born according to the flesh, that's Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, that's Isaac, so also it is now. See the point? So also it is now. This is an ongoing pattern. When we pray for Christians in Somalia who are being attacked, that's not a one-off. There's many other nations around the world where that would be happening. And it's not just physical attacks. In the West, it's often just that kind of slight kind of mockery, isn't it? The cold shoulder, the derision, the laughter. You can't seriously believe in that today, can you? Strikingly, um, both here in Genesis and in Galatians and through church history, sometimes this, this opposition and this ridicule and this threat, sometimes it comes not from miles away, like other nations, but from here, the visible family of God. And then from Galatia, from religious leaders. Sometimes the most religious, who, can be, who, who most reject God's promised son, Jesus. And that faith alone, in him alone, would be enough to provide us forgiveness and righteousness. That's what Paul's getting on about when he says the child of promise versus the child of flesh. Remember, Ishmael was the DIY route to God's blessings, the do-it-yourself version. Isaac was the wait-and-trust-God's-promise version. And still we see that today. So across Christmas, as we invite friends and family to hear the good news of, of uh, Christmas and Jesus this coming season, as hopefully lots of people from our community are here, and you may be here this morning listening to this, let's not be surprised if we get a real mixture of reactions, there might be the joy that says this is extraordinary that God would do the impossible as he promised, bring his long-promised son. And we might get some real opposition, some real mockery. I mean, come on, you can't be serious that, that my efforts to live a good life are not good enough for God. You can't be serious that I need to trust Jesus that through him is the only way to blessing. Come on. 
Strikingly, the last time that mocking laughter word was used in Genesis was in um, Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot when he warned um, his sons-in-law that, that judgment was coming and, and they needed the rescue that God was offering. And they laughed, thought he was mocking. That's our first point. There are two ways to laugh at God's promised son when he arrives, the joy or the mockery. Secondly, though, God's stark verdict. Let's see what happens next. God's stark verdict, and it is stark, I think. The point here is the one mocking my promised son will not inherit my covenant blessings. That's God's verdict, that Ishmael is not going to be an heir alongside Isaac. Now, I think it's helpful to acknowledge right up front that this, these verses, 10 to 12, I think really surprise us. I think there's lots of surprises here. Um, we may initially have our loyalties in completely the other place uh, to where, where God says they should be in the end. Um, because, I mean, verse 10, isn't Sarah being a bit harsh, saying, get rid of this slave woman and her son? I mean, she's not even using their names, unlike God. Um, and I think there might still be, yes, yeah, some bitterness or some jealousy returning there. Certainly Abraham thinks that doesn't sound like a good idea. Verse 11, this thing was displeasing to Abraham. But then, to our surprise, God says to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This is really striking. Whatever Sarah's motives were, uh, whether they were pure motives, kind of trying to defend the three-year-old from, from this um, bully, bully um, older brother, or were they twisted, still bitter at Hagar, we don't know. But God's verdict is clear here. I've chosen Isaac to be the heir, and so someone mocking or deriding the son of promise does now need to go. It's this clear dividing moment. The word cast out, I said, drive out, is what happens to Cain when he rejects God's, um, God's warning and, and kills Abel. It's the same word used of Adam and Eve when they're driven out of the garden. So we are having the consequences of Ishmael's laughter kind of being spelt out for us. And God's not cruel. We'll see that next in the third point. He's extraordinarily kind. But he is being clear. Don't think you can mock God's chosen son, the legitimate heir of God's promises, and still hang around in God's blessings forever. That's the point. Those who mock the son will not experience the eternal blessings that Abraham's family will. In today's terms, then, don't think we could reject Jesus, whatever our background, Jewish or Gentile, whether we're in church denominations in the West or in the nation of Israel. Don't think we can reject God's chosen promised son and just assume there'll still be a place at God's eternal banquet. Ishmael says loud and clear, that's not the case. The New Testament describes Jesus as the cornerstone on which God's building his kingdom. But he's also the stumbling stone, because if we reject him and mock him and don't want him, well, in the end, we won't be kept in, we won't be blessed eternally. That's our second point, and it is a sobering one, God's stark verdict the one mocking my promised son will not inherit my covenant blessings. And as Galatians makes really clear, there are, they, these two sons are representing two very different ways to approach God. 
Isaac represents the trusting God's promise and rejoicing in the son he provides, Jesus. Ishmael represents the, we're just going to do it our own way and think it will work out. So many people are approaching God like that today. Surely it will work out if I do my best, try it my way. God says this early in the Bible, no. I've chosen my promised son. Because next week's... Just say, if you're thinking, why Isaac, what's so special about him, please come back next week, because next week's kind of the second half of this a pair of passages. Please do come back and find out what's so special about Isaac. Um, but for now, we need to move on. Um, and, and this is a striking thing, because it, like, if I was writing a really neat sermon, I would go straight to point four at this point, uh, verse 22. And we've seen the, the kind of bad reaction of Ishmael, uh, laughing at the sun, rejecting the sun, and we've seen the consequence And then surely it would be really neat to turn to verse 22 and have a good reaction where Abimelech comes and makes peace with Abraham, someone who who wants to come and and reconcile, make peace with Abraham and his offspring. Actually, the Bible isn't always as neat as we are. And God wants to stress something in verses 13 to 21, which we could easily easily overlook or or be mistaken on. Because so far we might be thinking, well, God seems pretty harsh on Ishmael. This seems quite a brutal thing. But actually, God is extraordinarily gracious, even to this uh, Ishmael who has rejected the promised son, even to Hagar who has showed contempt to Abraham's wife Sarah back in chapter 16. God is extraordinarily gracious to those who reject him. That's point three. Um, God's extraordinary common grace. Common in the sense that it doesn't just get shown to Christians, it gets shown to anyone, regardless of their response to Jesus. Um, Let's just have a look at it. It's a a striking um, episode. It's kind of a tragic episode in some ways. The the, the mother and and the son, he's not a baby, remember, he's 16, um, but described as a child, I think, um, uh, to help us realise their vulnerability in the desert. Um, They they go out into the desert, and, and pretty soon the water's gone, verse 15, And Hagar sits down uh, and despairs. Striking here, there's no sign of her praying to God, no sign of her trusting, because we have a promise, verse 13, that God will make of Ishmael a nation. So he's not going to die in the desert. God's already promised that. But Hagar isn't trusting that promise and isn't praying on the basis of it. She's despairing. Naturally so, understandably so, given the, the desperation of the situation. In verse 17, therefore, it's not Hagar's voice, but the voice of the boy that God hears. Verse 17, God heard the voice of the boy. And then says, fear not, God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. I will make him a great nation. God shows extraordinary kindness for the second time to Hagar and Ishmael in the desert. We had it back in chapter 16. This time, though, it's even more remarkable because it comes after Ishmael's rejection of Isaac and God's plan. The point being that Ishmael and Hagar, they may not be believers. They may not be trusting the promises of Abraham. They may have rejected all that, even laughed at it. But God provides for them, continues to bless them. Rain, food, shelter. Sorry, uh, water, food, shelter. Jesus puts, puts it like this when he's describing what God is like. Our Father who is in heaven makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Jesus is saying God is so kind. In a world that rejects his son, to many people 
who laugh at his son, at the idea that God would have come to save us through Jesus. Nevertheless, God continues to provide. Extraordinary, that. If you're not a Christian here, God is giving you breath and life and food and shelter and friendship and everything else you enjoy. And I think there is an application here to us as Christians, if you are a Christian, which is how we should treat those around us, regardless of their response to the gospel message, to the news of, of the birth of the Son. Um, so let me, I, I just read a quote from uh, Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, where I said um, about our Father in heaven makes his Son rise on the evil and the good. Uh, let me just back up a bit. And this is what Jesus says just before it. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. Striking that, isn't it? It may be that some of us face some real mockery over the Christmas period. Some of us will go back to families uh, who, who don't have any time for Jesus, think we're pretty strange for taking him seriously. Um, sometimes it will just be the kind of, just the occasional comment. Sometimes it will be the cold shoulder. Sometimes it will be a real kind of talking to. I can't believe you believe that stuff. I can't believe the ethical choices you make. What are you doing with your life? You're wasting it. Jesus says, let's be like our heavenly father, who even in the face of rejection or mockery is gracious and kind. That's our third point. So we've seen two ways to laugh. We've seen the stark verdict. We've seen God's extraordinary kindness. Now notice it doesn't remove point two. Like um, uh, Ishmael's not going to inherit the eternal blessings unless he turns back and um, seeks peace with Abraham. But he is in the meantime being looked after and cared for by a kind and gracious God. But actually our final note of the passage is a note of hope. And this is where the passage ends with real hope in verses 22 to 34. And I've called this a better response. Um, so take a deep breath. This is uh, not, we're nearly there. Uh, a better response. The better response is seeking peace with God's chosen heir, seeking peace with Abraham and his offspring. And that's what's going on in, with Abimelech here in verses 22 onwards. Um, you might have thought, kind of, this is a bit random at the end of a, a passage about Isaac's birth, but the point is, here's an example of someone coming from another, <coughs> excuse me, from another nation to make peace with Abraham and his descendants. Um, it's actually a bit of a worrying moment initially. Verse 22, he turns up with the commander of the army. I don't know if you've ever been to a meeting where someone turned up with their military commander, but it doesn't bode well. You might think, uh-oh, is this going to be kind of some kind of conflict? But no, actually, just listen to these words. Verse 22, Abimelech said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you'll not deal falsely with me or my descendants or with my posterity. But as I've dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the last you've sojourned. Abraham said, I'll swear. So Abimelech is saying, I want to make peace. I can see that God is with you. It's the opposite reaction to Ishmael. Stuff Isaac. There's no way I'm going to submit to him. No way I'm going to be with him. No, this is it. Abimelech saying, I can see God is with you. And so let's make peace. No mockery, but respect. No rejection, but this request for peace. And again, we, we will experience this over the coming months if we're sharing the good news of Jesus. Um, there's, there's multiple reactions to Jesus. That's the reality. There's the joy of Sarah, which I guess we share as Christians. We're filled with joy and delight at the good news of Jesus. There is the, the ridicule and, and rejection. 
uh, of Ishmael. But there is also the, the one seeking peace like Abimelech. The one who the more he hears about Abraham and his son, the offspring of Abraham, the more he hears about God and his promises, the more he realizes, actually, I think I need some of this. I need to make peace with this. It's a wonderful moment, actually, as well, because in this chapter 21, we are seeing, um, we're seeing the start of God's promises coming about and the first fruits of the big promises. We've been waiting a long time with nothing really happening on the ground. But by the end of chapter 21, we have one son, Isaac. We have one well in the land. Um, that's what part of the conversation is about, that Abraham gets a well of his own in the land. Uh, and we have one person from, a, from a, a different country coming and making peace with Abraham. It's all the, all the parts of the promise to Abraham that in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Small scale at the moment, but it is a sign that God, the everlasting God, is keeping his promises. So as we close, let me just say, what are you expecting this Christmas in terms of responses to Jesus? What are you expecting? Ever since this passage, on from Jesus, through church history, across the cultures of the globe today, there are mixed responses to the announcement that God's promised son has been born. It's extraordinary, really. It's all here in seed form, and then it's seen so clearly when Jesus comes. Christians who think with the kind of Eeyore pessimism, I mean, I could ask people to, to come to carols. I could speak to them about Jesus, but they're all going to say no. They're all going to hate it. We're not believing what Genesis 21 says or what Jesus himself said. Likewise, others of us who think, well, if I can just, if I can just ask with a real smile, in a kind of really friendly way, and if I just get my patter, my sales patter right, well, surely everyone would think that Jesus is brilliant. We're not trusting Genesis 21 and the rest of the Bible that says there are always mixed reactions to the news of Jesus. When God does it all and gives a son and says, if you just trust him, you can inherit eternal life, some people rightly love that. I think that's the best news on earth. I could be forgiven. I could be adopted. I could be a child of God. Others think, how dare you? I'd rather get there myself. How dare you imply that I need something? I'll be fine with God. It's always been the way. And so I think the encouragement I'd love to give us and I'm giving to myself is let's do what Jesus said. Sow the seed far and wide Expect that there will be different responses, but have hope and confidence that there will be this response, the one who comes and wants to make peace. And then in time, the response of Sarah, just overjoyed delight at the son that God promised. Let's pray. After Paul had preached about Jesus and the resurrection of the dead, the history book of Acts says this, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. And some believed. Father in heaven, we pray very much that you would help us to be a church where the joy we have in Jesus overflows and overspills into the communities and families and friendship groups and workplaces and networks that we're part of. Pray this season that many people would hear of your good, gracious gift of Jesus, the saviour of the world, the heir of your promises. 
And we pray that you'd help us to persevere with that when there's mixed response. And we do pray very much that while some may mock, we pray that many would come and make peace through your Son for all eternity. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.